Joshua chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions. For yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise." They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. With very little uh, choreography on our part uh, and much uh, providence of the Lord, today marks 12 years to the day from the moment I stood in this pulpit for the very first time. And I preached a sermon on that day on Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and you voted to call me as your pastor. About a month later, I began to serve as your pastor, and I preached on Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8. And for about the next 25 weeks, we continued verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And subsequently, we did the same thing through the gospel according to Mark, through Ephesians, through 1 Peter, through Jonah, through John. Everybody remember going through John? 
and then through Habakkuk. You might mark the date and time in which you came into the church by what verse in John I was preaching on during that four and a half year journey. Apart from Advent and Lent, almost every Sunday for the last 12 years, that's what we've done. We've picked up where we left off in the text and we've kept moving forward. And at various points along the way, I have thought about the day that would come sooner or later when I would preach my last sermon as your pastor. And during some of our seasons of conflict, I didn't know if it might be the next Sunday. And then at other times, I thought that there would never come a day when I would want to preach my last sermon as your pastor. You have been our church family for over a quarter of my life and for over half of my ministry. You are the only church that my kids will remember from their childhood. For some of you, I've been the only pastor you've ever known or the longest pastor you've ever had. Uh, I will leave here in second place in tenure to Paul Early, and he deserves to remain in first place in that uh, list. If you want to know how I feel about Emmanuel Baptist Church, ask my pastor friends, because most of them have been envious of the wonderful fellowship that we've had together. And we've grown very comfortable with each other. That's a beautiful thing. It can also be dangerous because comfort can breed complacency and indifference and apathy. And those are things that keep us from moving forward. God has made his calling clear and undeniable in our lives. And so we come to this final Sunday. As the day drew nearer, I thought about a thousand things that I wanted to say. But ultimately, I decided that the most God-honoring thing I could do is end my ministry here the way I started it and the way I've carried it out for these dozen years. And that's by just keep moving forward in the text to the next passage at hand. And nothing I have to say about this occasion is going to matter in the long run. They're, they're just words. But it's my conviction that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And he has promised to use his word for the building up of his church. So we keep moving forward in our Essential 100 series. And we come to Joshua 1. And when I began this series on January 15th of this year, I could not have known or anticipated that on August the 6th, I would preach my final sermon in an incomplete series, much less my final one as your pastor. But God knew that. His providence and perfect timing orchestrated us to come to this text at this time on this day so that he might speak to us all about our need to keep moving forward. Approximately 40 years had elapsed since Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. The book of Deuteronomy comes to an end with Moses' death atop Mount Nebo overlooking the promised land. He got to see it. He didn't get to enter it or enjoy it. That responsibility would fall to his successor, Joshua. Now, some of you may recall back on our 60th anniversary homecoming here in 2006, I preached from the book of Haggai on that day. And I said that it was my very optimistic hope and belief that the best days of this church's history were ahead and not behind. I don't know that I got to see them, but I think they're still out there. I, I can see them out there in the distance. And if you're going to enter into an experience and enjoy that bright future, it's going to require you to keep moving forward. 
If the church rises and falls on one individual, his name better be Jesus. And the last time I checked, he hasn't resigned. And he, he's not going anywhere. Just as God spoke to Joshua here in our text, I believe he has a word for Emmanuel Baptist Church today, and that word is keep moving forward. So how do we do that? Well, let's see what God said to Joshua and then apply it to ourselves. First of all, keep moving forward, empowered by God's unchanging promises. All around us, you know, things are always in a constant state of change. Uh, the ancient philosopher said that you can never step into the same river twice because you are different and the river is too. Change happens whether we like it or not. I heard someone say one time that change has come upon us like a monkey jumping on our heads from a tree limb above and we have to decide whether to shake it off or wear it like a hat. For the Israelites, their lives up to this point had been nothing but change. And finally, as they prepare to enter the promised land, there's a change in leadership with the death of Moses. I read these words, Moses, my servant, is dead. And immediately I think of the title of a wonderfully hilarious book I read a number of years ago by Louis Grizzard called Elvis is Dead and I Don't Feel So Good Myself. Moses is dead. I'm not Moses and I'm not dead. But after today, my ministry here comes to an end. And that means that change is upon us all, just as it was for Israel. Commenting on this passage, uh, one of my favorite preachers of all time, G. Campbell Morgan, said, Each one of us takes up a work that's already begun and we will leave it unfinished. Each one is a debtor to those who have gone before and a creditor to those who are followed. Uh, John Wesley said, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. And the great expositor Alexander McLaren had this to say about Moses' death. He said, no man is indispensable. God's work goes on uninterrupted. The instruments are changed, but the master hand is the same. And he lays one tool aside and takes another out of the tool chest as he will. Moses was dead. God was not. Nor had God's work come to an end. No sooner than the Lord says, Moses is dead, the very next words he says to Joshua are, Now therefore arise. Moses is dead, now therefore arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land I am giving them. You see, in spite of all the change that the Israelites were facing, there was this one unchanging constant, and that was the promise of God. The promise to give them this land was made to Abraham over a half a millennia before this moment of transition. And nothing, not slavery in Egypt, not the tyranny of Pharaoh, not the death of Moses could render the promises of God invalid to his people. So what does that have to do with us? Well, you are actually recipients of even greater unchanging promises than the Israelites received regarding the land of Canaan. John Newton's most famous hymn is Amazing Grace, but I think his finest hymn is Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. It's about the church. He says, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou may smile at all thy foes. Those glorious things that are spoken of the church of Christ flow out of the promise of the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 16. 
where he said, upon this rock, the rock of the confession of faith in him as Lord and Savior, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Because Christ is the one to whom the church belongs, let no one ever say of it that it's my church or your church or anybody else's church. It's Christ's church and he is the one who has promised to build it. And with his promise to build it comes the corollary that whatever he intends to build cannot be overpowered even by the forces of hell. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say with all confidence to the Philippian church, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If God were giving up on Israel, he would have let them all die with Moses. But the very fact that we possess a book of Joshua indicates that God was not finished with them and would not give up on them until he had brought to pass all that he promised to them. And so I'm saying to you today that the Lord Jesus is not giving up on Emmanuel Baptist Church. He has promised glorious things to you. He's promised to build and advance His church against all supernatural power and oppression. And He will complete what He has begun in you. He isn't giving up on you. So you don't give up on Him. You keep moving forward. And you do that empowered by unchanging promises. Secondly, we see in our text the need to keep moving forward encouraged by God's abiding presence. You see, the title deed to the land of Canaan belonged to the Israelites by covenant promise. But taking possession of it would require effort. The, the land wasn't just sitting there vacant and fallow waiting to be occupied. There were people living there with whom the Israelites would have to do battle. They weren't just going to say, come on in and take the land. There'd have to be a war. And the Israelites had never been much of a military threat, and they never would be. In fact, I, I don't know of a single battle in Scripture that the Israelites ever won by sheer brute force. Every time they ever tried to win by sheer brute force, it was a predictable disaster. So as Joshua stands on Jordan's stormy banks and casts a wistful eye over to the other side, he sees a land that has to be taken by force, and he has every reason to be discouraged and terrified. So three times the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. McLaren says it's mockery to say to a man who's conscious of, conscious of his own weakness, don't be afraid, unless you can show him good reason why he need not be afraid. And there's only one reason that can still reasonable dread in a human heart. And that one reason is the voice that says to the trembling soul, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Verse 9, the Lord says, Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So because the Lord is present with His people, He can say to Joshua in verse 5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Every battle can be fought knowing that the Lord is on the side of His people. So the psalmist says in Psalm 124, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Paul says similarly, Romans 8, if God is for us, who is against us? That's what the Lord wants Joshua to see here. Because the Lord is with him, there's no need for him to be afraid. He can be strong and courageous in the face of a raging river and enemies on the other side of it. And the Lord has also promised his presence to us in his church. Because he has, there is no need to fear anything or anyone 
as we go about the mission that he's called us to. And what is that mission? Let's be very clear about that. The church only has one mission, and it is the task of making disciples for Jesus Christ of all nations of the earth. It has, the church has no other mission. Jesus Christ promised his presence to his people for the purpose of that mission. He did not promise his presence to his people so that we could gather around and feel how good it feels to have his presence with us. He promised his presence to us so we could advance the mission. It's the very reason the church exists. Is it an intimidating mission? Yes. Yes, it is. Everything in our present culture today is opposed to the very notion of religious conversion and uh, the proselytizing of others. But this is why we exist. The church can do without a lot of things and still be a church. You've heard me say, the church is what's left when you burn down the building and shoot the pastor. But if the church loses the mission, then the church is no longer the church. It has no right to exist apart from that mission. Jesus' final words to his followers before his ascension. We have at least four versions of it recorded in the New Testament. He instills it into his followers, the, the singularity of this mission. In Matthew's account, it's the most familiar to, to most Christians, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This mission would be utter folly had the Lord not promised us His presence to go before us, to go with us, to remain behind us, seeing His mission carried out through us. And because He's promised His presence to us, there is no need to fear engaging the mission. What could you fear? Well, you might say, well, we tried and people don't listen. Well, they may not. But God didn't command us to go out and make people listen. He commanded us to go out and tell. The listening is up to them. The telling is our responsibility. We go and tell. You might be afraid that you won't have the finances to afford the mission. Sharing the gospel is free. There's absolutely no cost involved in sharing the gospel. You can share it with anybody and everybody free of charge. But you say, well, there are things that come up in the course of missions that are costly and, and we don't have the funds for it. If we spend all of our resources on missions, then we have nothing left for anything else. I'm going to say this one last time. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. I, I don't know of a single church in 2,000 years of Christian history that has ever missioned themselves to death. But in fact, in every case that I know of where a church has died, it's been because they abandoned the mission due to fear. Here's the reality. If you fear the financial future of the church, the worst thing you can do is abandon the mission. Because people will give sacrificially to support a compelling vision. And can I let you in on a little secret? Paying the electric bill and recarpeting the sanctuary is not a compelling vision. Changing the world by reaching the nations for Christ is the most compelling vision. 
And when people's hearts are captivated by that vision, they bring their wallets with them to invest in the building of Christ's kingdom. Jesus promised to provide every necessary resource, including the primary one, his own presence, to ensure that the mission keeps moving forward. So don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Confront the risks of moving forward on mission because Christ has promised his presence to you for that very purpose. Thirdly, keep moving forward. Committed to God's trustworthy word. One morning last week, Donya and I were out for our run, and we ran the same route we almost always run. And I get a little bored with that. I like variety. So as we started back toward home, I said, let's go a different way. Instead of going straight up here, let's hang a left. And so we did, and, and we got lost. Uh, and our four-mile run turned into a seven-mile run because of my little detour. So I think Donya will probably think twice the next time I say to her, let's turn aside and take a different route. I hope if anybody ever comes along and says to you, let's turn around, let's turn aside and take a different route than God's word, that you'll think twice about listening to them. If I've done anything at all the last 12 years, I've tried to model and demonstrate and lead by example in showing you the trustworthiness of the word of God. It hasn't always been easy. Some of you know these things, some of you don't, some of you will be surprised by them, some of you won't. Before that first Sunday, 12 years ago today, when I preached my first sermon here for your vote, a member of this church asked me to meet privately with them. They were not a member of the search committee. They just felt the need to get involved in the process. And what they said to me on that day was, I think you need to back out. We don't want you here, and we don't need you here. And I asked the person why they felt that way, and they said, well, it's very obvious to me that you're a conservative pastor. We're a liberal church. You don't belong here. Well, I just smiled and said, I feel very strongly that this is where the Lord's leading me to be, so we'll just see how it goes. The first Wednesday night Bible study that I led here was on Genesis 1. And I was teaching about God's creation of the world from the first chapter of the Bible. And as I began to explain that, a member of the church shouted at me in the middle of the Bible study. I'll see if I can mimic the tone that was conveyed in. You can't expect us to believe that. We're educated people. I fully expected you to believe it. Because God's word says it. From day one, I made it my number one priority. No matter what else happens in the course of my ministry here, that whenever I leave, however long it is, when I walk away, the Word of God will be reestablished as the foundation for all that we do at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And, and, and I should say reestablished. Because at one time, that was the foundation of all you did here. In the 1960s, Paul Early was called a liberal by a lot of people because he believed that the church's doors should be open to all people regardless of their ethnicity or skin color. But let me tell you something. That's not liberal. That's biblical. In fact, I have his own words written down on a yellow piece of paper on my desk that I read at least once a week, almost invariably for the last 12 years, in which he sets forth a biblical theology of reaching all people with the gospel, and he bases it on, and I quote, the inerrant word of God. 
Not many people were using that word inerrant to describe the Bible in the 1960s in Southern Baptist life. Your pastor was. It's been my aim to remind you afresh that you can trust this book because it is God's word and it is without error and it is with full authority. And if you're going to move forward, you have to do so committed to God's trustworthy word. That's what the Lord tells Joshua here in verse 7. He says, be careful to do all that uh, the, the... all be careful to do according to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you. That law of Moses was the Bible for those people. It's the only Bible they had. And God said they better be very careful to keep it before them in faith and obedience. He said don't turn aside from it to the right or to the left. And that means quite simply that the word of God is sufficient as it's written. It doesn't need to be altered, modified, or adjusted to suit our circumstances. We might apply that metaphor of turning to the right or left by using those terms in their familiar connotation in our regular dialogue today. Turning to the right would be adding to the Bible legalistic rules and obligations that God never commanded. So when we turn from his law to the right by adding unnecessary obligations to it, we are trapping people in spiritual defeat. We're placing a burden of false guilt on them. We're robbing them of the assurance that they should have in the righteousness of Christ and making them think that God's favor rests on them as a result of keeping rules rather than maintaining a relationship with Jesus by repentance and faith. Don't turn to the right from the Word of God. Don't turn to the left either. That would be indicative of taking away things that offend contemporary sensitivities, softening our position on sexual ethics and social issues, abandoning essential doctrines of the Christian faith, such as the exclusivity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. All around us in this city, I'll take you on a driving tour this afternoon if you want to, All around us in this city are churches that have departed from the straight course of God's word. And most of them have departed to the left because of the prevailing cultural and political ideologies of our day. Friends, biblical morality and theological orthodoxy has never been popular, so don't expect it to be today. The solution is not changing the Bible The solution is changing our lives and our beliefs to conform to the Bible so that people can see the transformation that God makes in us as we live in accordance to his word. That's what the Lord was saying to Joshua. There will be those who say, in this new day and age, the way forward is to abandon these biblical norms of morality and put aside narrow-minded theological thinking. That is not now, nor has it ever been a way forward. Anytime the church has ever tried to do that. And when I say the church, I mean the church, capital C, worldwide in the history of Christianity. Anytime the church has ever tried to soften or abandon biblical norms of morality and theology, it has taken enormous steps backward in its effectiveness for Christ. It is a certain and almost irreversible death spiral. So how do we keep moving forward in a world that objects to every moral standard and doctrinal conviction that we hold? We do so committed to the authority of God's Word. We don't do it because people like it. We do it because God says it. We can't please Him if we don't live in accordance with His Word. So never abandon your commitment to the Word of God. Don't let anyone persuade you to go back down that road. Keep moving forward 
committed to the authoritative word of God, Joshua might have wondered, how am I going to do that? And so the Lord tells him in verse 8, he says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That means it's always to be in your mouth. It's always be filling our conversations with those inside and outside the church. We're always talking about the word of God. Think about how much better off we'd be if we'd stop talking about so many other things and start talking more about God's word. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And then the Lord says to Joshua, you shall meditate on it day and night. That means it's not just something we talk about. It's something we are always thinking about. To meditate on God's word is to study it, to commit it to memory, to keep it in the forefront of our minds, talk about it, think about it, and then do it, obey it. The Lord says, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. The Bible should be the focus and the substance of every word, thought, and deed in our lives, not just individually, but corporately in the church. We're a people of the book. I was in a service one time and the preacher said, Baptists are people of two books, the Bible and the hymn book. And I was like, my goodness, no. I said to the guy beside of me, there's another preacher, I said, I said, what's he thinking? He said, I know, it's really three books. It's the Bible, the hymn book, and the pocketbook. No, it's one book. One book. It's just the Bible. Sola Scriptura. It's the Word of God alone. That's how we keep moving forward. Think about it. Talk about it. Do it. Move forward committed to the authority of God's Word. And now finally, think about how much you'll miss hearing me say that five times in a sermon. Is this the third time he said finally or the fourth time he said finally? This is the first and last time I'm going to say finally today. Keep moving forward, united as God's own people. Beginning verse 10, the narrative shifts from God's words to Joshua to Joshua's words to the people. And by these words, he unites the people as one body for the task ahead. With the obstacles and the opposition that they're already facing, there's no way that they can carry out this task if they're divided amongst themselves. So, so Joshua gives orders to the leaders in verse 11 to rally the people together, ensure that everybody is outfitted with the necessary supplies, and everybody's on the same page about what we're doing and when we're doing it. He said, prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you're going to cross this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. They're a diverse group, but they had to move forward United in one agenda. And that was the Lord's agenda. That's a picture of internal harmony that's not dissimilar to that which we see in the Jerusalem church in the second chapter of Acts. In, in Acts 2, 42-47, we see a picture of a very diverse church that's unified with internal harmony. They had the same priorities. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were united in the same spirit of corporate worship. As the Bible says, they were all feeling a sense of awe about what God was doing in their midst. They took care of each other. They met one another's needs, even if it meant they had to sell their possessions in order to provide for each other. They gave sacrificially so that one another had what they needed. And they continued on in one mind. The older translations say in one accord. And you just picture this little Honda full of all these people. In one mind, meeting together regularly, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the effect was that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Because people like seeing 
a united body that has this kind of harmony in their midst that centers on the Lord Jesus. Those are the very marks that should characterize the church in our day. Internal harmony doesn't mean there's no room for disagreement or varying opinions. It's harmony. It's not unison. If you want to know the difference between those things, join the choir. When the choir sings, various members of the choir are singing four different things all at the same time. It doesn't sound like that, does it? I hope it doesn't sound like that. Chad hopes it doesn't sound like that. To the untrained ear, it sounds like they're all singing the same thing. But they're singing four different notes at the same time. And what comes out is a unified, harmonious sound that's more beautiful than if everybody was singing the same notes. And that's the kind of harmony that should characterize the whole church. Because everybody has a unique part to play with strengths and giftedness that's carried out in unique ways. But when we bring those things together in unity, the result is harmony. It's a unified church. There will be disagreements. That shouldn't be every day, shouldn't be every time the doors are open, but there will be disagreements. There will be diverse opinions, but everyone's committed to the same agenda. To carry the musical metaphor, for the, we're all singing off the same page. We might be singing different notes, but we're singing the same song on the same page. And that agenda that we're committed to is not any one of us, it's the Lord's agenda. That's the kind of internal harmony that's required as we keep moving forward. But then notice also, There's kingdom cooperation. Joshua has a special message for the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. You see, these tribes had made a special request of Moses back in Numbers 32. They got to the area before they got to the Jordan and they looked around and they said, this will do. We don't really need to go over there. This is good. We're good here. There's plenty of room. We got lots of cows. They can graze. We'll let you all have everything on the other side of the river. Give us this part. Now, Moses' response to them was stern. He said, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now, eventually Moses granted them the land that they asked for, but it wasn't without consequence and it wasn't without condition. And the condition was straightforward. They had to agree to cooperate with the rest of the nation when the time came to do battle in the land of promise. And they affirmed that they were willing to do just that. And so now they're here at the banks of the Jordan. And Joshua reminds them of that condition. He's not going to let them back out on their commitment to cooperation. He says to them in verse 13, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God will give you rest in this land. According to that command and promise, Joshua permitted them to leave the women and the children and the animals behind in in that territory that they wanted, but the men had to get dressed in their battle attire and lead the way into the battle on the other side of the river. Joshua said, Cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest. Friends, there is a great task ahead of us in reaching the world, in reaching our own nation, our own state, and our city for Christ. This is not the time for one church to say to another, Good luck with all that. We kind of have our hands full here, so we're going to do our own thing and you do your own thing. This is a time for churches to lock arms together in the mission of Christ. And for the last several years, you've been doing just that. In fact, for many years, you've been doing that. And I'm grateful that you have. For several decades, we cooperated for the kingdom of Christ with the Greensboro Chinese Christian Church here. We've cooperated with the Ethiopian church and now the Nepali church in our city. We've joined together with Pleasant Garden Baptist Church and South Elm Street and Friendly Avenue Baptist Churches to cooperate in the effort of reaching Hispanics 
in our city. Some of you last fall gave your time and energy to labor together with folks from Magnolia Street and Mercy Hill to conduct a dental clinic in the eastern part of the city amongst refugees on that day. Throughout your history, you've helped plant and launch new churches like Good News Baptist Church across town. That's the very kind of kingdom cooperation that has to continue. Has to continue. You you need the help of sister churches to do what God's called you to do, and they need your help as well. No single church can carry out this task alone. Every church has a part to play. No church is too big, too small, too old, too young, too rich, too poor. Leave the excuses behind and commit to kingdom cooperation. There are enough lost people to go around that we can all labor alongside of each other without any sense of competition or turf war. Your brothers and sisters and other faithful churches need your ongoing cooperation and you need theirs until the Great Commission is completed and disciples are made of all nations, including right here in our own city. The tribes of Gad and Reuben and Manasseh didn't have the freedom to say, well, let them do what they please. We're going to stick to our own pastors. No, they had to lock arms together and we have to keep doing that as a church to move forward in kingdom cooperation even as we move forward with internal harmony united as God's own people. Now, at this point in the text, verse 16, the people take their turn to speak to Joshua, the new leader. And they affirm their willingness to do just as he had commanded them in the authority of God's word. And they committed to following him as the new leader. Now, I don't know God's timing. I wish I did. But the day will come when you will have a new pastor. Don't be impatient. Don't panic. Don't settle for anything less than God's very best. But when the day comes, I want you to receive that new pastor and his family as you have received us. Give him the same respect that you've shown us, even as the Israelites pledged to Joshua. But notice that their pledge of allegiance is not without condition. They said, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Joshua's been around a while. If I were Joshua, I would say, "Mm, I'm not sure that's a good thing because I saw how you treated Moses. I'm telling you, I'm I'm not saying to you today, You've been bad to me. You better be better to the next guy. You've been good to me. You've been good to me. I hope you'll be just as good, if not better, to the next guy. But then they said, only, there's the condition, only, may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. In other words, you lead, we'll follow, but you better lead like Moses led. And what they mean by that is, you better have your feet firmly planted on the word of God and be determined to seek and follow his leading. You've held me accountable to lead you well, and you've had high expectations of me. Don't lower those expectations of your next pastor. Demand it of your next pastor that he feed you on God's word and lead you by God's will. Keep moving forward. I have the privilege today of standing atop a metaphorical Mount Nebo, looking into a future that I know, I know, can be exciting and bright for you if you will keep moving forward. I still believe that the best days of the life of this church can be ahead of you, not behind you. If we're all agreed that the best days are behind, let's change the name of it from church to museum. Start charging admission and put up some velvet ropes here, okay? We, over next door, I think we still have about 500 film strips from the 1950s that you could show in a special exhibit. The best days are not behind. If they are, we're done. 
The best days have to be ahead. But you have to keep moving forward. Empowered by God's unchanging promises. Encouraged by God's abiding presence. Committed to God's authoritative word. And united as God's own people. So keep moving forward.